In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is her sixth month, for she who is said to be barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Here am I. Let it be to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the story of a common, ordinary girl learning to say yes. And as I thought about this story and as I continue to, even this moment, think through what this means for us, I can't help but ask the question, do we still think God is active in our world? Do we still think God is active in our world? I think, if I were to come to you individually right now and just say, hey, what do you think? Do you think God is active? You'd probably say, well, sure. You're the guy preaching. I'm going to say yes. God is active in this world. But as you think about it, and maybe even in our real life decision making, we sometimes don't act as though we think God is active in this world. How many of you like to play table games? I'm thinking board games, card games, domino games, anybody. Raise a hand. I want to see hands. You people make me sick. I hate these things. I hate table games. How many of you enjoy Scrabble? Anybody? That's your favorite. You could do it all the time, anytime. Doesn't matter. On the phone, on the iPad, on the board, on the table, on the floor. Okay? Oldie but a goodie, even with things that have changed. Monopoly? Anybody Monopoly? Okay. We have something called Wacoopoly. Baileropoly. We enjoy that. How about uh, 42 with the dominoes? Anybody? That's it. You could do it all the time. I still don't know how to play that game because I hate these games. And here's why I hate these games. I hate to lose. And when you start a game like this, you never know if you're going to win or lose. I like to only do things that I know that I can win. And what that means is you'll never invite me to your home. Because, and I'm aware of that. And I know that that's part of the deal when I say this. But it's true. I like to know that it's more than likely possible for me to win. I also know that it's something that I need to continue working on. I am the, folk, the guy at our folks' house. Thanksgiving, we just had some family gatherings. Christmas time is coming up. More family gatherings. I was the one when the games make their arrival, I find anything else to do. I'll go watch TV. I'll read a book. I'll take a needle and shove it into my fingernails. I don't care. 
I just do not want to play the game because I don't know. Now, I have been working on this, and it was, I mean, just a year ago that I sat down, a full 12 months ago that I sat down at a family game table and played this game called Phase 10. Anybody love that game? Hate it. (laughs) I sat down and I played with the family, lost miserably, but I realized something. It's not necessarily about the winning and the losing. It's all that process in the middle. It's just being with the people that you're with. I have a feeling that Mary would be the one that would sit down at any game table you want to shove her way. The winning and the losing, it's not necessarily the most important thing. Knowing about the ending before it starts is not the most important thing for her. For her, it's that process of getting to that point. And we get to see through quite a bit of this process as we read this passage today. When this angel stood before this 13-year-old common, ordinary girl and says basically, Mary, don't be afraid. This is not going to hurt at all. You're going to be overpowered and become pregnant. And then I'm going to go away, says the angel. You'll have this baby out of wedlock and no one will believe your story of how you got pregnant. How could Mary not think, how is this possibly going to end well for me or this child? But instead, she does the extraordinary thing and says, sure, I'll do it. And again, we ask ourselves the same question. Is God still active in our world today? It seems to me that we have a difficult time imagining God as a character in our story. We prefer to think of God as a passive character. Encouraging, helping along the way. These kinds of things. Of course, that is not the picture of God that we get from Scripture. If this passage from Luke reminds us of anything, it's that God is active and that God regularly uses people like Mary, like us, to help others see what God is up to and where God is. Mary is a girl who was perplexed, confused, and probably troubled by the angel's words, how could she not be? Remember that she's a common, ordinary girl of little account in her world. Definitely not the stuff of legends. And God uses her. Now, thankfully, I have never been a 13-year-old girl. I'm going to throw that out there for you. But I do know a few. And I've asked one of our students to come and share and help us understand a bit more from Mary's perspective. Anna is going to come and share with us now. Okay. Hi. So, uh, high school's pretty crazy. And with high school, I do this particular thing called debate, where it's basically like argued, organized arguing, if you've never heard of it. And in debate, I have to know what's going on around me. So I have to be conscious of what's going on in the world. I need to know the news. And this, in turn, has affected my perspectives and thoughts on things, because I've seen how other governments have worked and compare it to my own. And also, I have to devote a lot of time to it to pay attention to the news and know what's going on. So this is sort of how God impacts us, because he changes your perspectives on things and changes how you think about things, and you also need to devote a lot of time to him, because you can't just stare at a Bible for three seconds and expect to know what it's saying. You have to read it and understand it and consider it. So when taking all these things into account, 
we see that one of the major examples where faith in God has led to an extraordinary outcome is through Mary. And the passage that Kirk read earlier is basically Mary was told in the dead of night, hey, you're going to have a baby. You know, even though you're betrothed, 13, and still a virgin, that doesn't matter because you're going to have a sweet little lovable cherub. And he's going to be awesome. And so, I mean, I would be pretty shocked. I'd also be in a lot of trouble with my mom if I was in that position. <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to get through that. But anyways, there are three things we can really get out of this. And that's one, that your life's going to change when you're called by God. Two, that it doesn't matter what age you are to be called from God. And three, that extraordinary things happen to seemingly ordinary people. So what's the first one? That your life's going to change. Now, obviously, this wasn't going to end after Mary gave birth to Jesus. This was going to continue for the rest of her life while she still had to take care of him and nurture him and provide for him. And you see this with parents every day. I see with my mom when she gives up resting time, I guess, to take me somewhere because I don't have a mode of transportation. And so, I mean, with that, you see parents give up things for their kids and that changes their life. So to the second point, that... um, Sorry, that it doesn't matter what age you are. So Mary was 13, but this didn't hold her back. In fact, she was chosen by God. He didn't just skip over and be like, oh, she's 13. Eh, might, might as well just move on. But she cho- or he chose her. And so this works on either side. You're never too young or too old to do something. Even if you've gone to school, had a job, you've had kids, your kids have had kids, there's still an endless amount of ways that you can affect other people's lives. And especially even if you're young, you can still speak to people like I am today. And there's plenty of other things that you can do. And so with the third point, that extraordinary things happen to ordinary people. Mary wasn't born with a star on her forehead or was plastered with a sign that said mother of the Messiah. You couldn't just tell walking beside her on the street, hey man, she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, man. You know, that's, I see it, I see it. But you couldn't just tell that. She was not born with that sort of giveaway, I guess. And so... But God let something extremely extraordinary happen to her because of her faith in him. She said, nothing is impossible with God. And so she went through with this, and ultimately the outcome that happened was extraordinary. So thank you. Let me just tell you, I love my job. This is fantastic. Nothing is impossible with God. This past week, we lost a giant, I think. Having spent 27 years in prison in South Africa for an overthrow attempt of the apartheid government, Nelson Mandela was released from prison in 1990 and became South Africa's first black president in 1994 and continued to fight to defuse the racial tensions in his country with some success. One of the quotes that he's most known for is this quote, it always seems impossible until it's done. It always seems impossible until it's done. As he came out of that prison, he was confronted with lots of obstacles. He fought through most of those. And he led to great reform. It always seemed impossible until it was done. I'm wondering if Mary felt that way about what was being asked of her. I'm wondering how we feel when the impossible is asked of us. Are we like Mary who 
like those Old Testament prophets, heard God's call on her life and objected. Remember, Moses didn't speak well enough and Jeremiah wasn't old enough. And here's Mary saying, how can this be true since I am a virgin? What we also know about God from the Old Testament is that never does God say when we object or when the prophets objected, you know what, maybe you're right. I didn't think this through. You're not nearly as qualified as I thought you were. I'll keep looking. God doesn't say that. Mary wasn't chosen because she was ready to be chosen or because she was confident in her abilities to be the mother of the Son of God or because it was a good time since she had cleared her calendar of everything else. Okay, now God, I'm ready to be called. It wasn't that at all. God called when God was ready. And like the Old Testament prophets, God reassured Mary that nothing is impossible with God. The faith of Mary to say yes is the kind of faith we all ought to be looking for. The faith of Mary is the faith that looks like obedience, right? Faith is not simply expressed in obedience. Faith is obedience. Faith is the ability to say yes when we're not exactly sure what's about to happen. Faith is the ability to sit down at the family game table, take the cards or the game pieces dealt your way, and enjoy the process of getting to the end. We don't know how the game will end up, but we know that that process is worth it. And that is where our faith is found. In Hebrews 11.1, we're reminded that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. As a 13-year-old girl, God asked a lot of Mary. And for some reason, she said yes. And somehow we find excuse after excuse why we should say no to what God is asking of us. Are you like me? Sometimes I find that my faith is most tested when I think that my ways are better than God's ways. Surely I know me better than God knows me. And I know what's best for me. When I refuse to allow God to be God, I find that my faith is no longer in God, but in me. And is that not the greatest arrogance? On the flip side of this, I discover faith I didn't know I had when I take a step that I didn't know existed. I find faith there. When I do something I'm not necessarily comfortable doing, I find faith there. When I stop paying attention to my inhibitions and listen instead to that one true voice of God, when I stop counting all the ways that I can lose and count the one way that I can win, By following God. This faith is Moses. Admitting his faults and going ahead with what God had called him to do. This faith is the fishermen who gave up their family business to follow this Jesus guy, not knowing for sure what was in front of them. This faith, I think, is agreeing to move to a new church, bringing a family some six years ago, not really sure what lie ahead, not knowing how our family would respond, yet seeing God work again and again so that we can't imagine being anywhere else. And faith is a 13-year-old girl saying yes to God in spite of the reactions she would most likely receive when her story got out. And if you don't think her story was going to get out quickly, you've never had the privilege of living in such a small town as Nazareth. Exponential growth of rumors. 
I get a lot of emails each week, some of them about leadership. Some of them within those leadership emails are about how to say no. There's a lot of discussion of teaching all of us how to say no. And one of the reasons that we are taught to say no is because whatever someone else is asking us is not helping me. It's not helping us with what it is we're trying to do in our life. I call that the selfish no. It's true. We get asked a lot of things. And sometimes no is the right answer. But not the selfish no. Today we talk about a yes. A selfless yes. That is what Mary shows us. We have faith to say yes to what God is asking of us. When we hear that God has noticed us, that God favors us, and that God has tremendous things to accomplish through us, what kind of reaction do we have? Do we have the perplexed, confused, and troubled reaction? Most likely. And we know that that's okay to ask those kinds of questions. The challenge for us is not to sit there in that confusion and in that trouble, but instead to take a step that we wasn't sure existed to discover that faith that God has given us by saying yes. And our reaction then is the same as this 13-year-old, common, ordinary girl. By way of response this morning, I want us to reread this passage together, congregationally. I'm going to read, there's going to be two parts. I'm going to read the part of the messenger, and I'm going to ask Anna to come back up and join me, and she's going to read the part for all of us. Please join me as we do this, and as we read, consider how you can say yes. Greetings, favored ones. The Lord is with you and intends to do great things through you. How can this be? We are ordinary, everyday people. Yet you have found favor through God, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, guide you, and work through you to care for this world and the people God loves so much, for nothing is impossible with God. Here I am, servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. My prayer is that the last statement that we just made, still on the screen, is all of our prayer today. It's time for us to stop giving reasons why we can't and discover the faith that helps us say, yes, I am yours, God, your servant. Do with me as you will. Please pray with me. Father God, you have challenged us today with something that uh, we may not be ready for, and yet we know, because of the faith that you give us, that we can take that step and say yes, because we know that nothing is impossible with you. As we sit here for the next few moments, Father, help us to consider the ways that we can say yes. We love you, and we know that you first loved us. Show us how to share that with those around us. We pray this in your name.